0: Everyone. I'm going to invite you all to find yourself in a chair somewhere and welcome you all to level 11. we're going to get started. We have a great morning this morning a great conversation that I don't want to waste any time losing some time on that conversation that we're going to have. Um, so just a couple of things while you're sitting here, thanks so much for being here if you're visiting with us um, we'll have uh, uh, a, uh, some we have some a, a coaster ah, not a coaster a tumbler. <laughs> It's much better than a coaster. We have a tumbler we'd like to pass your way just to remind you to stay focused and mindful during the week, sip, breathe and smile. Kind of one of our little slogans here. We're so glad you're visiting with us. Uh, So make sure you pick one of those up on the way out. Hopefully we'll have somebody at the table just to point them out to you as well. So the other thing I wanna say is welcome to you all online. Uh, we have a, a good group of folks online today. A lot of folks taking an interest in what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so we're glad to have you as well. Please sh- be sure you register your attendance there. A couple of quick things just to remind you. Um, we have our Crafting Difficult Conversations on, Monday, on Tuesday night that's starting at 7 o'clock. You can find out information about that uh, by emailing me. And uh, you can, and I'll get you the Zoom link. We've had that going on for a couple of weeks now and a good discussion Our second group, because we already have a Monday night group that's been going on for almost two years. Um, Then the other thing to point out is, I know there was something else. What else was up there? Is there anything else up there? Yes, our wine and wishful thinking, which is happening also on Tuesday night, happens at the Wine House, and they have a great discussions sometimes around the message and sometimes around other topics that are interesting of the day. And it's always good wine, and then there's all sorts of other beverages too, if that's of interest to you. So that's always at seven o'clock, and that's at Wine House uh, here in Central Fort Worth, off of uh, Park Place. Okay, so that's pretty much it. Oh, are we? An- We're announcing, we are announcing sign up for coffee. Uh, um, we, have, uh, we have different individuals every, uh, Ann, are you here? Ann, yes, yes, I, we wanna thank Ann back here for bringing our coffee today. So there are days that sometimes people will just foot the bill for the whole thing, and other days where we'll just have something back there and you can contribute to it, and we'll just kind of continue to kind of keep up. We're calling it our Holy Ground, right? Holy Ground Coffee Serve Ministry, something like that, yeah. So uh, there's a sign-up back there, so be sure and see Ava Nell back there, and there's also a sign-up that she has. Um, All right, I can't think of anything else. I'm sure something will come up here in a minute. But we're so glad to have you all here this morning. So this morning we're going to talk about... um, we're going to talk about anger. We've been talking about the seven deadly sins. But in particular, I've been talking about, I've been taking kind of a not the, the challenge for us to think about is to move from duality, thinking of everything as binary, right? That's just who we are. We think of everything as either or, bad or good, wrong or right. And, it, and, and while that's helpful in certain, con, uh, certain contexts, cer- certainly we want real concrete uh, answers or understanding in certain contexts, but the reality is that it also creates a lot of opportunity for defensiveness that we just gravitate to because that's we're fearful creatures that's just part of our biology so we're talking about how to see through that binary duality and recognize that in fact everything is a lot more interconnected than we realize and we're all grounded in this sacredness of love God uh, the sacredness of God's love and and We're all interconnected in that reality. So how do we look at things like anger, pride, envy from the context of that interconnectedness? That's what we're doing, looking at the virtue, if you will, if you ever even thought about this, the virtue that's at the heart of the seven deadly sins. So that's what we're going to play with. And today we have with us Kagan Parker, which I'm going to go ahead and welcome right now. Yeah. Many of you remember Kagan when she sang with the band. She's Daryl Parker's daughter. Many of you know Daryl Parker as somebody who's co-led the uh, Crafting Difficult Com- Conversations with me, among other things that he's participated in. And so uh, we're just glad to have Kagan here. More about Kagan as, as this progresses. But she's going to be with us the next couple of Sundays with me in particular up here talking about these issues because she's really wise and she has a lot of great insight and so she's gonna be having this fun conversation with us we're so glad that you're gonna be doing that and, and glad that you're willing to take that risk that's really cool okay let's begin we're gonna start off with a great old classic song um, and I don't want to I, I hesitate to make this too light a matter because it's not a light matter where we are right now in the world and part of this what we're dealing with with anger I suppose at the end I'll give you the, I'll give you the spoiler right here how are we responding to the way the world is right now what story are we telling ourselves that is keeping us in response the way that we're responding to war to racism to uh, conflicts with with, with in, interpersonal conflicts with the realities that we have what is the narrative what is the story that we tell ourselves that keeps us in our relationship with the way the world is around us because it's kinda messy there's delight in the midst of it but it's kinda messy so we're gonna kick off with a little reminder
1: in the to oh. Oh, yeah.
2: that awesome or what we're all awake now so we can all participate in the welcome candle which has been lit if you're at home feel free to light your candle there and join with us come come whoever you are wanderer worshiper lover of leaving it doesn't matter ours is not a caravan of despair Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times Come
1: um, yet again. Thank you, Jennifer. Would y'all stand and sing with us now this morning? We've got a great song. Elena's going to lead this one. Y'all fall in with us. All right.
0: says this but I want to remind you I can't be a good Methodist and nobody said anything about if you have an offering bring it forward while we were singing so greet one another with signs of peace and welcome and if you have an offering bring it forward here or do it online we're so glad you're here welcome one another Your seat. I invite you to take your seat. While we, um, I want to share with you this morning our, our the uh, our story, our text for our kind of our our text for our context this morning. And it's actually two. I'm actually going to use a second one as well. But y'all can see this first one up here. That's reading from the Epistle to James, which was and it's pseudonymously attributed to Paul, but most of the scholars don't think it was really Paul as the apostle. It was written much later. But it is written to a community of early followers, the anointed, the, they didn't really call themselves Christians back then, but the anointed or followers of the way. And so you can imagine uh, this early community, uh, in spite of the fact they're all following Jesus or following his ways, they were um, fighting amongst themselves. Imagine that, churches fighting amongst themselves. Um, so anyway, so this was the text. Let's read. I'll just read this and you can follow along there. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to you're, I love this. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. So that's, um, that's, that's the author, pseudonymously Paul, speaking to this early Christian community. I'm going to read this second text that actually is a, it's kind of a Palm Sunday text because it happens right after Jesus comes into Jerusalem in the, in the West Gate, the Sheep Gate. He's coming in, uh, riding on a donkey, of course, in palm, palm leaves. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. But this happens shortly thereafter, he goes into the temple and he sees that there are money changers because they're selling for, mostly for poor people to have uh, doves or other animals for sacrifice but they're in the gentile section of the temple so in other words the money changers and the, com- the people dealing in commerce and whatnot they are in the space that is reserved for those who are outside the immediate Jewish community that the temple even included those folks, and here they are being excluded because of folks selling stuff. And so Jesus went into the temple of God and cast all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it's written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a house of thieves. Amen.
3: I invite you now, my friends, whether you're here in this room or joining us online, to pause for a moment. Take a deep breath. Get comfortable. This is an opportunity, a welcome for you to be and breathe and experience the mystery of community. What a beautiful, An amazing opportunity this is. It's a moment in our worship, a Kairos time that's not about what we capture on the clock. It's about breathing in and breathing out. It's about being rather than doing. It's about stopping long enough to reflect on who we are and how we act and what we believe and what we do. In those moments where even anger has inflamed us to action, whether it's for justice or for vengeance, it's a moment to allow our hearts and our minds to be transformed and to think differently because we can stop and surrender and breathe in and breathe out. And we can choose in this moment to be people who choose peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness and community over all those other things that would divide us. And we breathe in we and we breathe out I. And we breathe in love. all those barriers that keep us from being who we are, who we can be, who we long to be, who the world needs us to be. And we breathe in that strength and that resiliency and that purpose and we breathe out all our failed attempts. In this moment, we are breathing in and breathing out unity and beauty. This is
0: You know, I was, I was just saying uh, to... Um, ah. <laughs> I was just saying after that song, um, the... Uh, 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 what was the name of the, the, the song? Well, What's Going On? You know, it hadn't occurred to me when we were talking about that song and picking that, picking that up and using that. I mean, Kagan is, is uh, was with us this week and drumming me and Brad and coming up with music and stuff. And that song is really a psalm. It's really a prayer, isn't it? It just hadn't really occurred to me. But it really, you know what brought it to mind? We were all singing it. And as we were all singing it, I was thinking to myself, yeah, this is, this is our prayer. It's coming up. We all resonate with that. So um, Kagan has been out of town and, and away for some time. Some of y'all remember when she sang with the band way back. Some of you remember two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic when I was having some interviews with different individuals that we had a nice conversation then, although I was literally trying to remember what that conversation was about. And I don't know. I don't remember now. <laughs> so, but I remember thinking it was a really good one. And, um, and so the, uh, she's been gone. And I'm just going to let you take a second and tell us where you've been, what you've been up to.
4: Can you guys hear me? There it is. Alrighty. Hi. Um, Again, my name is Kagan Parker. Um, I have been a part of 1111 for a while in spirit. Uh, I moved to Maryland, the DMV area. I lived right on the DC border um, and was just kind of experiencing life. I was born and raised here in Texas and I needed something a little bit different and different I got. Um, And I, I think I learned more about the world in the last five years than I have in my entire life, but I'm I'm back here now um, completing my degree in critical race theory at the University of Houston Um, and want to be a part of a community again I think that's something I learned about the East Coast that I really wasn't expecting um, was that the sense of community isn't really there because people are trying to survive Um, and survival is at the forefront of everyone's mind and so there wasn't this I didn't have any of that southern comfort and I missed it Um, and so I'm back I'm here with my lovely father who's taken me in in his loving arms to support me through this transition, which has been wonderful. Um, he's a great roommate, as is my stepmom. They're phenomenal, and they've been really great through this process, so it's thank you guys for having me back. It's phenomenal to be here and see all your beautiful faces.
0: That's cool, and you're, moved, and you're back here for a little while.
4: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm back we're... for the foreseeable future. I don't yep. have any plans after this, and uh, it's been really great to be back in Texas, back in the sun. Uh, I've really missed the sun. It's cloudy in Maryland and I did not know that no one warns me and it's real gray And I really miss the sunshine. So I, I think this will be where I'm where I'm gonna be for a while So we're really excited
0: about you being back too. Um, the, uh So when we were talking after after she got back and, and Kagan had visited with both of our crafting difficult conversations groups and as she had been in conversation about really what's a hot-button issue right now critical race theory but also in terms of talking about these deadly sins, right, that we sort of think about as other things that we do that is wrong. Um, it, it, it really started to surface how much misunderstanding and how much fear and anxiety is involved in how we respond to things without, and so that whole aspect of understanding what's going on is lost. And so uh, I, I thought I would give you all this definition. I'm gonna read something first that um, I heard in a podcast recently called Pulling the Thread and and, um, Celeste um, Headley was the uh, guest and I can't remember the host's name Uh, she's an African-American researcher and um, activist and she had just recently written a book and so they were having conversations on similar topics but one of the things she said at the beginning which I had never thought of was Carl Rogers many of you know that name Carl Rogers was sort of our modern father of psychology or, or psychotherapy and he had the Rogerian technique of how you kind of engage with others, not simply in a parroting or mirroring kind of way, but you literally listen creatively, compassionately, curiously, so that you're engaged in understanding. And so he wrote this that I thought is a great way to think about conversations in general. We We think we listen, but very rarely do we actually listen for real understanding, for true empathy. Yet listening of this very special kind is one of the most important and potent forces for change that we have. And I loved what she said in the, in, the, in the podcast when she was simply saying, all we're doing is talking here. I'm not trying to change your mind, you're not trying to change my mind, all we're doing is listening for understanding, which is yet to happen in so many contexts. So, so to give us a context for what we're going to talk about, I said this one thing and I want to ask you this question right off the bat because I've had feedback and, and uh, some confusion I said at the very beginning of the series sin is less about what we do and more about what we, f- I'm sorry, sin is less about what we do that is wrong and more about what we fail to do that is right. What does that
4: say to you? Um, not to be contrarian. I feel like... Be contrarian. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's what I'm best at. So that idea... It really does, it resonated with me when I I was reading it on the screen this morning and you sent it to me in our, in our, you know, correspondence earlier this week. And it was, it's, it's deeply insightful because it, it insinuates that sin is not necessarily that you're doing something wrong, but that you're negating to do something right, but that still falls within the confines of duality. And I think sin completely just goes above all of that. It's not about right or wrong. It's about, is this harmful? Is this causing harm to me? Is this causing harm to you? Is this causing harm to the greater purpose and idea? And, and that does kind of you know, encapsulate the idea of doing something right, the idea of moving forward, doing something that causes change. But I think for my interpretation of sin, I really do believe that it's when you're sinning, you're doing something that causes harm. And it's not like, oh no, you shouldn't do this. But like, is your heart okay? Are the people around you okay, did what you just did, did that cause harm in any sense? You may not have even been able to see what happened that caused harm, but if you think about it and step outside of yourself for a moment, what did you just do? And I think that's really honestly what God in the higher power is asking us to think about is what did you just do?
0: Yeah, okay, so, so, so when we get right, okay, well, first of all, I wanna say this one thing that I heard from, uh, that I read from Matthew Fox. Because I think it's I love how you bring it back to there's something else going on behind what's going on that that I mean this is what people are doing that's wrong and yet what is what's actually going on yeah. you know and so Matthew Fox who's uh, started uh, this idea of creation spirituality he said just as smoke indicates fire anger indicates love it,
4: it indicates passion itself it's the almost one of the rawest forms of passion and love is is part of that. You either are angry at someone because you love them and they're doing something you don't like or you're in love with the world and you hate to see that bad things are going on and so you're angry with that or someone's wronged you in some way or offended you in some way and your love and your passion in that situation kind of becomes anger and it's, it's a beautiful thing really, honestly, to be propelled by this feeling and you're not really sure what to do with it and i think that's part of the conversation that we've kind of been having is what is anger inviting you to do because it's not just there it's a it's a warning signal we're we're creatures we're humans we're, we're part of the biological realm so it's what is this signal inspiring us to do what is it asking us to do what are we meant to do with this emotion because it's not meant to be wasted nothing that strong like love is meant to be wasted. So, so,
0: okay, so, you know, and, and I hesitate to even bring the name up of our, of our newest Supreme Court justice nominee, uh, Ketongi, I'm gonna say it wrong first, I now got Jackson in my mind. What's her first name? Katanji. See, I was gonna say contingent. But anyway, Katanji. yes. And so Katanji, if you go go and you, and I listened in on him, I did listen in on him. And what was interesting was how much CRT came up, right? I mean, it's like all these different buzz, you know, hot button issues that we can kind of try to peg somebody on and sort of ensnare them in something. And so it came up quite a bit. I don't want to bring it up as a political thing. I really don't, but what I do want to bring up is what angers us so much, why we get so angry. And I, I wondered if you might just illuminate a little bit about critical race theory and what it is that you think causes so much Anger, what's going on there?
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, I mean, I, I'm hoping you all witnessed uh, Katanji's hearing, and um, it was wild. Thank you for the applause. I thought it was wild, I was genuinely um, a little taken aback um, by what I witnessed. It was kind of um, humbling to watch her maintain her composure during that kind of sure. yeah. just. Beratement and just belittlement of her intelligence and the work that she had done and the effort that she put into her entire career, it was not great. Um, and I I think he brought up, they brought up CRT as a whole to make her mad. And that's what this is all about. You want to make people scared. You want to make people upset. You want to elicit some reaction because if she had acted out of turn, it would have been the excuse to shut her down. It would have been any everything they needed. They would have had... To, uh, to deny her the right that she absolutely had. She has earned this position, and it has been a wonderful example of what it means to be justice, and
0: so, yeah. Well, so explain for us then kind of what critical race theory is. Sure. In just a kind of a nutshell, if you can. I mean, I, I don't think you can in a nutshell, but try. You
4: know? <laughs> yeah, there's not really a nutshell to, to put it in. Um, I think I can explain what critical race theory is by explaining what it's not. It's, um, it's not divisive, it's not scary, it is not meant to separate us, it's meant to bring us together. Critical race theory focuses on acceptance of what's going on. Um, acceptance of systemic and structural racism, of, of oppression that occurs here in America, the poverty that we see, and to be real about what's actually happening. It's not meant to scare anybody, it's actually deeply delivering. I didn't know what critical race theory was. I had no clue what I was getting myself into when I found this degree plan. I had um, begun a journey towards higher thought and my my dad gave me the book From Slavery to Freedom and learning the history of African Americans and how we've come and, and been formed into this country inspired me to look deeper into who we are as a people today and then critical race theory led me to even look outside of myself and look at who is America today What are we up to? What are we doing? And what are we not addressing? Instead of just sitting around and talking about poverty, let's talk about the intersectionality that leads to poverty, education, access to education, access to resources. Why are we impoverished? Why are there so many homeless people? Why are there still a pay gap between the genders? Why are there so many African-American and Mexican-American men in jail? And critical race theory gives you those answers. So instead of just sitting and talking about it and being sad about it, we get to learn why things are still sexist. And we get to understand what that does to someone, what it does to their trajectory in life, how you are perceived by the world and how that body that you live in is going to be treated moving forward in the world. That's what critical race theory talks about. I never really understood why I was treated the way I was treated in my environment. It never really made any sense. I knew I was different, but why was I different? That doesn't make any sense. I'm just like you guys. I'm just like anybody else. I'm a normal kid going to college. I got a family, I have dogs, and we all have a great time. So why are you guys asking me to step out of a picture at school? Why are you looking at me funny? Why am I being kept from things that I know that I should have access to? And it's intersectional. It's not just the color of my skin. It's my gender. It's my education. It's my class. I'm a middle-class American, so what does that look like? All of those things combine and explain your experience, give a voice to your experience, and help other people see your experience. And that goes for everybody. Because I didn't ever think that that this kind of information would kind of speak to people that weren't minorities, but it does. It talks about what is it like to be a Caucasian male in his 50s who has been told his entire life that he has to do all this long list of things or he's a failure what does that even look like? How much pressure do you feel with all of these social ideas being pushed against you at every turn and you go home and you just want to be a normal person but when you go out into the world they're treating you with expectations and they've never told you why.
0: So, so this really, this, this gets to uh, something about anger that I wanted to tap into as well and I want you to think about this and you shared with me this, this uh, podcast or no, it was an interview with Trevor Noah and, and, and Tarana Burke uh, uh, she was, uh, was she one of the founders of the Me Too movement? She was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then also Black Lives Matter and and so she's interviewed with with Trevor Noah and Brene Brown and they've done a book together with essays and such but um, think about some of the things you had shared with me there but I want to with this idea of anger because we think of anger again as kind of a dualistic thing you know I'm, I'm, we have an object at which we're angry, angry or a group of people at which we're angry or some thing at which we're angry but in reality anger is an inward experience that is rooted in the word angst it's actually if you go back and look at the etymology etymology which i love to do right if you look at it it gets connected to the word angst which means anxiety or fear there's a fear engaged in there and that, and of course when we're not in touch with that fear then we're we're just responding mindlessly if you will out of our conditioning out of some of those things you were just talking about um, what did what were they talking about that that uh, really resonated with you? That...
4: Um. So the the interview, and I hope I, I'm sure we'll share it somewhere. But the yeah. the interview with Trevor Noah was discussing the the book that they had coming out and the idea of um, vulnerability and authenticity and how anger is kind of the the path to that kind of thing because your your anger, your frustration, your angst. I think when we talked about it at first, it was The word angst kind of hit me different. I had always thought of anger as being mad, but I don't really think that that's what it is. You're feeling anxious. It sits right here in your throat. You get choked up. You're confused, and you're just kind of in a frenzy. And it's not madness as much as it is discomfort. And what do you do when you're uncomfortable? You try to protect yourself, and you try to pull away. You want to get in a better situation. You don't want to be you know, anywhere near what's making you angry, but then there's an invitation to be vulnerable, to sit in your discomfort for just a second, and to understand why I'm feeling uncomfortable, and then being brave and courageous enough to share that, because that's what causes change, that's what's actually impactful, that's what community is based on, is this vulnerability, this opportunity to sit and to share with one another about what's actually going on. And I think even this conversation is a vulnerable moment for me. This is uh, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart and one that I had to move through in a spiritual, emotional, and psychological way that I did not expect because I was angry when I first learned about CRT, when I first learned about what was actually going on, when I moved to Maryland and I saw the kind of oppression and suffering that I was not exposed to in our lovely little Fort Worth, you know, Metroplex, I was I was pissed off. There was so much anger and I did, I felt it right here. I couldn't sleep, I really couldn't. I couldn't leave the house without choking up because I was seeing stuff that just didn't make any sense. So and then I took the opportunity to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and my professors just embraced me and were like, "Bibs, I feel you and we get it, but understand that this is the path to connectivity, that this is the path to community.
0: Yeah, the, that, the idea that, uh, that um, the anger that you were feeling, because that made me think of um, in the story about Jesus going in the temple. I mean, that was righteous anger. It definitely was righteous anger. But when we talk about righteous anger, sometimes I think we get back into that thing of good or bad, right? We get back into what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing, who's the right person, who's the wrong person. And, neither, and none of that is, is actually the way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, because the, what is really being suggest- and that's our dualistic way of seeing things, right? But if we try to see things non-dually, then what we realize is that, right, that, r- that righteousness really literally means, like justice, right relationship that things and people and systems are in right relationship and it's something what's going on is that it's asymmetrical Power is asymmetrical wealth is asymmetrical relationships are asymmetrical if things are out of alignment right. they're not in right relationship so righteous anger really is like saying there's something wrong here
4: right and it was and I, and, I, and I appreciate it. It wasn't righteous to begin with. It became a righteous right, anger, right, right. but it definitely wasn't righteous to begin with. I was mad. I was really mad. Because you've got this... I, I'm naturally a curious person, naturally very introspective. I'm very in my head all the time. So when I was going through this process and learning this information, all I did, all I could do, was look back on my experience through this new lens that I had been provided. And my God, the mistreatment. Like, people had treated me in a way that... I couldn't even fathom, and looking back on it with the education and the terms and, and the and the terminology that helped me explain what was going on, I was mad because these people hugged me and treated me like you know I was one of the one of the fam, and in the same breath denied my very existence, neglected to make a space for me to feel seen, and that made me like just mm-hmm. like seeing red. I had to delete people off of Facebook. I didn't want to see people's faces. I didn't want to be in Texas. I couldn't do it because of the injustice that I had experienced on, a, on an interpersonal level. And then it became righteous when I realized that yeah, it was What brought
0: deep. that around? What brought that around? Because that was very raw. What you just expressed was a very raw feeling of this, of this abuse, essentially, I mean, really abuse. Yeah. So, so what brought you around then to seeing it in a more connective, you know, where, where you felt like you could speak to this with CRT in a way that's helpful?
4: Um, after I had my, my moment, um, I realized that even in my experience, I was still deeply privileged And that there were people that are experiencing things that I cannot even begin to put my head around that need a space to vocalize their experience, that need and deserve a space to be heard and seen and to have space made for them. And in my privilege, I wanted to do something about it. I've always loved people. I've always had a big heart for people. I love people. But what do you just do with that lovely feeling? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? And CRT gave me, the tools I needed to do, like, you know, to do something about it, because it was, I realized that, you know, not everybody has a, you know, a two-parent household. Not everybody has a dad who's willing to back them up at every corner. My dad comes out swinging for me. Like, there is not a day where I second-guess if my dad's got my back. And I know that's not normal for everybody. Not everybody gets to go to a college preparatory high school, and I, that's where I went. I wore, you know, the little uniforms, and, I got a really great, you know, education. I read all about Plato and Socrates. And not everybody gets to have that. And not everybody who looks like me even knows what that's like. So even in my disenfranchisement, even in my, it was really unfortunate. Even in my unfortunate experience, I still was deeply privileged. And I wanted to do something about that. But what do you do with your privilege? What, what can you do? And you make space. That's well
0: what you do. I well that's a good segue because we we're, we're coming we're going to be back next Sunday and having more conversations and we're, for the next couple of Sundays we're going to have these kinds of conversations because I really think that to understand what it means to this whole idea of sin really revolves more around our our disconnection right. and how we live out of this brokenness and disconnection and and so part of it is recognizing the injustice right um, and then part of it is giving space, as you're just suggesting. What else? Give us another thing we can do as a takeaway right, from, I mean, just a little bit of a takeaway today.
4: Oh, gosh. Um, that's actually more difficult than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's a, a, a call for looking inward, like an actual call to being real with yourself about what's going on in your own life, and your own relationships, your relationships to the world, how you're feeling, what your experience has been like, what space you need, and how to give that space to yourself. And by creating that space for self, you're in turn creating space for other people. Because it's, I, I never really understood what my mom, my mom is, is incredibly wise, but my mom always told me that you can't take care of anybody else until you take care of yourself. You can't give from a place of need. That is not something that ends well ever. And I mean, no one's asking anybody to be a martyr as well. Like you're not, it just doesn't make any sense. So until you get right with self, it's very, very difficult to even begin to think about how you can do for other people because you've not even addressed your own needs. And as humans, we all have similar needs. We all kind of live in this world together and our needs coincide with one another. So until you address your own, until you look at your own disenfranchisement, until you look at your own privilege and the things that you need in your life to feel more grounded, to feel seen in yourself, not asking other people to see you, because I'm not asking anybody else to see me ever. I see me and in turn, you all can see me because I know who I am that is incredibly powerful. And in that I find there is the most deliverance from things like anger because I got to hold my anger. I got to like hold myself and be mad and understand that this is where I needed to be right now. That 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 I'm having a reaction to something and it's natural and it's fine. And instead of burying it and running away from those feelings and neglecting to talk about them out loud, I help myself. And that was just the most revolutionary thing. And in that moment, I thought about my mom, and I was like, of course she was right. Um, she's, She's always right about those types of things. But now, because I'm not in a place of need, I'm not emotionally in a place of need, I'm not mentally in a place of need, I'm not out here healing from things and expecting people to make space for my healing, I've healed myself. And I can move forward and do something about the things that I see now because I've handled myself first.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's really great. And one of the things that you're fascinated in and i with and that you've been doing some more studies in and we'll talk about this more next week because next week this, the, uh, the, the uh, deadly sin is gluttony, which is our, you know, which is a really interesting one because it's a word that carries all sorts of baggage and we miss the whole point. I really do think like everything else, we miss the point because I really think it has to do more with not simply body which is such a a narrative disjuncture and injustice that we do to ourselves and one another but body politic the body of, of Christ if you will the cosmic body the body of our interrelatedness that we that we completely mistreat in this process and it really ties into this. So we'll talk a little bit more about mindfulness in that context as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, we're gonna have, and, and we're gonna bring some more thoughts with CRT as well, but um, it's so good to see you all here this morning, but I am really glad that you're gonna be with us and that you were th- with us this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you, for guys. Being present. Okay, uh, again, it's good to have had you guys online and good to have you here this morning to, uh, to uh, share in this conversation with me and with Kagan. And She'll be back next week, so I hope you'll be back next week. Um, and, and I'm going to invite you all to stand for our benediction. The better way, what is this better way uh, in, instead of seeing things as we, they, and as me, you, and as right, wrong, what's this better way? And I think this benediction that Padraig Otuma had written still fits so well with this idea that we're all grounded in this love or grounded in this sacredness or grounded in the connection of our being so we go in pieces instead of going in peace because things get upended but even as they get upended we recognize there is opportunity to be mended we unravel but we travel together and as we do we dispel the illusions we listen for the confusion and in the process we open up to something new so go in pieces